electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John, uh, John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today is now the time to double down on growth as tech slumps. Many companies are cutting costs. We're going to talk to one CEO who says they should be doing the opposite. Oppenheimer says now's the time to buy Netflix. That call coming with the stock down about 60% this year. Analyst is going to join us in a bit. And then take two, the latest company to be hit by a cyber attack. Shares are down this morning. we got details this hour, D. But let's start with some investor worries for tech ahead of the Fed this week. The major indices coming off their worst week since June. The Nasdaq down more than 5% last week. We did just take positive, though, as Carl just said. Joining us now, live at One Market, our own Jim Cramer. Jim, welcome. It is wonderful to have you back. You are always on a mission, but you're on a particular mission this week. Has to do with tech and how low it can go. Right. I mean, this is really important. First time. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is really important. I'm out here, obviously, for Salesforce's Dreamforce, but seeing a lot of different tech companies because I happen to think that tech is indeed undervalued. I just want to know when the Fed is going to, done, to be done, so then the undervaluation turns into buying. My Chapel Trust owns, they say, half positions on a lot of these stocks. And let's give you the classic symbol, Salesforce itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, this stock has just been pummeled. Mm-hmm. So the question is, are the, are the pushbacks? Are they not getting the orders done? Are they finding that the business is good? In other words, are they Adobe? Right. And Adobe was very, very harsh last week. So then what did you make of the Figma move? And, you know, Salesforce, obviously. I thought it was interesting. Last week, I was also watching Mark Benioff at some of the conferences. He was at Goldman Sachs. He kind of left the door open for some more M&A activity. But investors haven't really loved that. No. Well, look, if you've got a company, Figma, that was selling for $10 billion a year ago and now sell for $20 billion and it's got selling at like 50 times the annual revenue, what happens is people hmm. say desperation. There's desperation. Now, there's two kinds of tech. There's the Qualcomm kind of tech, which is that you've got these chips and they're used uh, in phones and they're used in autos and maybe hmm. phones are good, maybe China's too slow. And then there's these kinds of, uh, this kind of tech where you've got big ticket items, and you can't close deals. Uh, workday closed deals, but the last time Salesforce had some pushback. Then you've got the other problem, the dollar. Yeah, big which Benny has talked about. done everything right, D. Everything you know, right. Jim, I thought of you this morning. I was listening to you, as I always do, on the way into the studio, and I went to get my coffee, and the other person who's supposed to help the woman out didn't show up. That happens at least, like, three times a week. You know, the milk's not out, everything. Right. And I heard you talking about needing more pain. That's what Fed Chair Powell yes. said. People need to come back to work. And so I wonder, when you say that you still think that there's value in tech, what part of tech is that? Or would you touch some of those expensive, still expensive, relatively unprofitable names? Well, no. Absolutely not. I think that the Fed, uh, when they raise rates, uh, is thinking about those companies. 
Uh, not, they're not thinking about, ooh, HubSpot's got to come down. Mm. You, know, you, you take a look at HubSpot. I mean, a lot of these companies, they're like closing in or they're barely profitable, but they sell at incredibly high multiples. Yeah. And the Fed doesn't want any of that. I don't think the Fed wants Bitcoin up. I think the Fed is bent on not na- uh, nailing uh, Atlassian. They're bent on nailing speculation. Right. They don't want people to borrow money to buy and stocks. Exactly those names. I don't think they're bent on crushing advanced micro under 20 times mm-hmm. earnings. Mm-hmm. But I think that a company sells at 40 times earnings. I happen to love NVIDIA. I can't wait to hear the keynote. Yeah. That is a company that uh, has you know, it's about $400 billion, though. So the question is, is that going to fall under the purview of what the Fed doesn't like? And again, I'm not the, the Fed never goes stock by stock. But I'm just saying, is the Fed trying to get rid of overvaluation? Does the Fed want your portfolio lower, Georgia, because that way you'll spend less and that way maybe you'll yeah. go back to work? John's got some thoughts. Hey, Jim. Uh, good to see you there in San Francisco. It, it's interesting, I think, the Adobe move, both the strategic move and the stock move last week, because it, depending on what your time horizon is, right, I think investors have a really interesting uh, dilemma here about how much you bet on, on smart growth. So Figma's doubling annualized recurring revenue to $400 million. Uh, I, I think cash flow positive, net revenue retention 150%. Right. In a regular market, they'd be going public with like, you know, it'd be a big deal. But Adobe making this move to get them and expand into productivity. Now, Shantanu was able to do the move to the cloud and SaaS like nobody else could. He was able to do the Omniture move. So to what degree do investors look at operators like that, look at companies that maybe they're not profitable right now, but their metrics are heading in the right direction, and say, if I'm in this for the long term, there could be value in some of these. I I think there is, but John, you said it. When they bought this company, Figma, that deal would have sent Adobe stock up your instead of sent it down. It would have said, look, how smart are they? They bought it before it came public at 40 billion. But he didn't know his audience, and his audience said his business is slowing, and it's an act of desperation. John, you and I both know it's not desperation. Shantanu's an operator. At the same time, I mean, I don't want to pay—I don't want to pay 22 times earnings for a company that is issuing stock to buy a company. Half of that is is stock. When I when I can buy another tech company that maybe is less expensive that still has good growth. So I think that they tortured shareholders with this acquisition, and they didn't mean to. Why not buy both? I mean, if you're if you're a long term uh, holder, how should an investor be thinking about this market? How much of it is either or, or how much of it is? Boy, think about earlier this year, some of these stocks bounced off of a bottom. Who knows whether it was the bottom? Maybe I should think about uh, longer term versus just not liking things when they drop. But the it is true that the business is slowing, and I don't know what if the Fed is done or if uh, Putin's done, or if China's done, whether the business will accelerate. But there are a lot of companies whose business is not slowing. And I'd rather be in those companies than I would be in a company whose business is, is ticking down. Okay, let's talk about another stock, um, Netflix. Been getting a few upgrades. And this is a stock that is 66% off its 52-week 50 high. However, about 50% off its 52-week low. This inflection point when they're figuring out that advertising model and the price of it. Where are you on Netflix? So many people love the idea that there's just going to be this new revenue stream. And yet, I remember Reed Hastings sitting right where you were when I interviewed him and, and, and talking about the glory of no commercials. 
So now uh, the idea that you're going to put in commercials, yes, maybe there's some people who want to trade down. I don't think there are new people that will come in. I think that Netflix is an undervalued company from the point of view of who you're buying, which is very talented people. But again, I come back and say, if Netflix is good, i got others that are great. Well, what about the idea that ad revenue, they could be such an interesting player here. Oppenheimer predicts revenue of more than $4.5 billion by 2025. Yeah, I, if that's the case, then go by Disney, because Disney's going to do the same thing. Uh, and remember, these are, these are big companies. I mean, it isn't like I'm saying there's this small cap company called Netflix, and this is an opportunity. It's a $100 billion company. D, I, I, I find this market, the conundrum of this market mm-hmm. is there's so many people who are trying to craft stories about buying things. And yet I've got companies, healthcare, I've got companies, banks, retail, where I don't have this degradation of world, worldwide degradation. I do think these stocks are getting cheap. But I also know when I sit down with the people from Marvell hmm. or Advanced Micro that no one seems to care that business gets you. If you're PCs, even, I was with Amazon Web Services, high performance yeah, computing. Yes, with the head of high AWS. performance computing is doing so well, but nobody cares. So I say wait till the Fed is done before they care. Uh, or no, I shouldn't put it that way because what I'm implying is the Fed can have another. A 75 this week. Right. And then if they say, listen, we want to watch and wait, then you might get a green light. And you're looking at yields, too, right? I read your investment newsletter this morning. You did. I did. I always do, Jim. Um, but the two-year, right, approaching 4%. And you were saying that basically Powell doesn't need to tell us anything if it reaches or surpasses 4% here. The dollar that you may have you want to put in for savings is not going to go to stocks. It's going to go for the four-year. I mean, two-year, because you get 4%. 4%. I mean, I can't own stocks, but I do have to put money away. Mm. I, I have a choice of S&P index fund or, or 4%. That was just the easiest and you're talking, choice. Yeah, and you're talking a dividend yield, which a lot of tech companies, the ones we're talking about, don't well, even I, have. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want any risk. I get 4 I mean, I, I was getting 0.2. Now I'm getting 4 Deirdre, I I want four. I I don't want all that risk. That represents the average person. Hmm. John? Uh, Jim, you know, another beaten down stock, Meta. I mean, so many things to dislike. You know, there's the TikTok narrative. Even though we don't get, like, quarterly great numbers, metrics on TikTok to be able to judge apples to apples, there's always this regulatory overhang. Um, How broken is it? And, and at what, what, what are you looking for, for an inkling that perhaps Zuckerberg is figuring it out? Two things. I want Reels to uh, make a major move here so that we think about Reels versus t- TikTok in, in a real rivalry. And then uh, I want them to charge for WhatsApp. Uh, I mean, they got to charge for something else besides what they do. Because, John, it, it, it's just, I mean, I know that sells at 15 times earnings. And I know Mark's doing his best with Meta. But we need another revenue stream. And if they gave us WhatsApp, uh, I would feel very good. And I think, by the way, I think the real Scotch is doing well. But the real problem, John, you check your feet. I check my feet, say, five times a day. Well, no one's posting. Your Instagram or your Facebook feed? I, I check my Instagram. My wife tells me, go check your Instagram. She says, <laughs> go watch your Instagram. Go watch your Instagram. All right. Uh, you're not checking Facebook, though, are you? No, just no, okay. just talking. No, Facebook, not at all. So Facebook or Meta is sort of this, the value mega cap play. Uh, wow. Yes, it is. And Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> he has to say, look, 
let me tell you what we're doing in Reels, and it's going to pass. It's not just going to be people posting their TikTok on Reels, and we're going to charge for WhatsApp, and we're, we're closer to making money on the yeah. matter than you realize. I'm going to see Jensen Wong. I know that he does a lot of work with them, with the Omniverse, but you've got to give us something in order for us to buy. Well, then let me ask you about still the growth here, mega caps, the rest of the fangs. How are you feeling about them? And especially Apple with its latest. Oh, of- okay, so Apple, I think, is just a buy. Plain out Plain buy. buy. To own, not yes. to trade. Just, right here, say. right here. I mean, I was I was in love with the 14. I unfortunately had to buy the 13 because I lost uh, my 13 last week, which in, and, and I dropped my watch. Travesty, 24, hour, 24 hours it happened. And I, I looked <laughs> at the 14, and I've now spent two days playing with it. Yeah. Oh, my. It's not the third. It's just. And you'd pay up for the higher end model. I would pay that my... seems to be consensus, at and least from I, all the reviewers. Yes. And it's so easy to switch now yeah. because of the eSIM the mm-hmm. card that mm-hmm. I can move away from Verizon to go to T-Mobile and John Ledger will stop bothering me. Yeah. Former, former I think CEO. I read a note that said this is one of the quiet disruptions, but one that investors really need to pay attention to. Things like the eSIM, which are overlooked. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> okay, Jim, while we have you, want to get your thoughts on, finally, the IPO market or lack what is, thereof. What IPO market? Yeah, exactly. Nearly 250 days without a tech IPO worth more than $50 million. That is longer than the aftermath of 2008. you got to go back to the early 2000s. Oh. Well, what is going to open look, it? It has to be a big company, right? First, yes, but for, um, would it be Porsche? I don't know. I will say this. That's historically a very bullish sign for investors. After you know, companies are buying back stock, you have no companies issuing stock as an IPO. It would be time to buy a Salesforce if Salesforce says good things hmm. this week. I'd rather do that. I don't care about when the window opens. I care about how if everybody comes and rushes in and wants to buy existing stock, you'll be glad you have something. That's why we have all these half positions for our charitable trust. Right. Okay. Um, well, Jim, it is always great, great. to Thank have you, you John, on set. Too. It just, I love your show. You know that. I stop and just watch it. It's so good. Well, we love to hear that. I hope you come on again this week. Thank we'll you. be I watching will. Dreamforce, as you always do such a great job there. Thank you. John. Great to see you, Jim. Still to come, the analyst behind that upgrade of Netflix joins the show. Plus, is it time to double down on growth? We're going to ask the CEO of one software company on why he says yes. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work.
get a gut check on crypto. Bitcoin and Ether both falling this morning, but off the lows. Bitcoin was below 19,000 uh, on what's been described as a successful Ethereum merge last week. Bitcoin, it is still below 20,000, though. Investors spooked after SEC Chair Gary Gensler's statement that Ether might need to be treated as a security in the future. The potential regulation driving down exchanges as well. Coinbase uh, is down more than 5% this morning, Carl. Um, you can always count on crypto for a wild ride. Uh, indeed, and it was one this weekend, John. We, you know, we sometimes talk about growth equities more broadly, but what about growth equity investors as a group? They've obviously been hit hard by the downturn this year. Our next guest sees opportunity, though, uh, calling this an ideal time for M&A across the sector. Joining us this morning is the head of Bain & Company's America's Tech Practice, Ann Hecker. And it's great to have you with us. Thank you for the time. One of your general points is that in a period of turmoil or maybe even recession, it is going to be M&A that's going to help some of these growth investors. Yeah, I think that's right. When we've looked at past recessions, it's really a, a turning point for a lot of companies to think through how can they chart their best course forward. So companies that can think about these downturns as opportunities and act quickly often end up on a very accelerated path coming out. So if we think of the great financial crisis, companies that either did very smart M&A or refocused their investments and kind of doubled down on their core business, came out with growth rates five, ten times faster than some of their competitors who did not. So while growth equity, we've definitely seen that turbo charge. A lot of these growths, we're seeing unicorns come on faster, three times faster in the last five years than we've ever seen. You know, there is a correction that we're all seeing, all looking at quite a bit. But a lot of the fundamentals around technology innovation and business model innovation that were fueling a lot of that still exist and are worthy of investment. Right. If all that's true, though, why is it that a lot of at least the big deals that have been announced in the last quarter or two, I'm thinking maybe an Activision or certainly Arm or maybe even Figma with Adobe, there are doubts about them closing or getting approved. Isn't, isn't regulation and, and resistance to large-scale tech M&A going to be a headwind? Yeah, I think that is definitely something that we consider. If we think of you know, disruption for the technology sector is just core to, to what technology does. We often look at technology disruptions, business model disruptions. And now it's really economic and geopolitical disruptions that are playing an outsized role in how we're thinking about some of the moves going on in this space. Obviously, one of the trickiest parts about doing M&A in, in times of turbulence is, is understanding what's the right valuation and thinking about what is a company worth when valuations are moving around. And now we add on to that regulation, you know, both from a China perspective, a U.S. perspective, and Europe. So it gives companies a lot to think about when they're thinking about what are the right moves to make. But the companies that do this well, I think, can front load a lot of those questions by really beefing up their M&A um, playbooks that they use internally and thinking about the diligence they run around what is really best for the customers, what moves are they going to make. Um, because that, that regulation piece, we've seen it block a lot of deals over the past 12 months. And it's John. Good morning. I think it's so interesting in this market Unlike a decade ago, we got a number of growing tech stocks with market caps under $5 billion. Not exactly small cap, but, but kind of. And the, the complaint used to be, oh, you know, public investors are missing out on potential growth. You know, companies are coming public when they're already mature. But now that there's market turbulence, people are saying, oh, stay away from unprofitable tech. Uh, 
How do you view the potential opportunity in these smaller stocks, some of which are going to grow and be quite successful, that a number of investors in this market uh, are scared of? Yeah. So if we think about technology, you know, technology companies really have always grown off of technology innovation and revenue growth. You know, revenue growth has been just so key and continues to be so key for anything in the technology segment. I do think the, the path to profitability is something these small companies are going to have to think about more proactively and sooner than they might have had to maybe 24 months ago. So not only is revenue important, but looking at your unit level economics and that path to profitability, I think that pressure for profitability is getting pulled sooner into technology companies and is something that we see a lot of companies looking at and the, and the winners will do it well. They'll look at not only where should they be making their investments, maybe there's certain areas they should take investment out of, but then refocusing that investment on the most critical projects and their most critical products that they think will grow. Because at the end of the day, tech companies that can scale quickly and build on those platform mm -hmm. economics will be the winners. But it turns out, and that it's really hard to scale. I mean, I wonder how much pain can the growth equity investor take before that whole thesis is questioned? I wonder, were there just too many tech software, enterprise software companies that have gone public over the last few years. Um, it's really hard for them to scale. They all want to be Amazon, but in reality, many are going to muddle along around the middle, right? Or worse. Yeah, it is hard to, to show that the, the rise has been like very quick in terms of just the number of companies that have reached this you know, over billion dollar valuations. And then if we see what's happened, obviously, with inflation, all, overall, I think the SaaS company's valuations as cumulative is down 70%. So it's definitely been a big correction. So I do think there are um, some companies that, that will figure it out and figure out a way to grow and have a really unique value proposition to their customers. There's a few themes we see and a lot of these we look at in our new technology report that's coming out today. Ones that can really have standout products, a really product-led growth strategy tend to win as well as if they can find a category where they can really drive innovation. And we're seeing more vertical categories coming up. So there are pockets where these new high growth companies really will succeed. Of course, in any time, in any business, you know, there are going to be winners and then there's going to be companies that really need to rethink their business model. And this is a time I think a lot of people are making those tough, tough decisions. Yeah. Finally, I wonder um, what your sense is right now of the mix between deals where they're looking to hire basically to absorb new talent or new technology or to simply broaden their scope of uh, a vertical uh, space? Sure. And those are exactly the type of deals we usually look at. So, you know, as, as the markets have been growing, we've seen more um, scope deals. So new market segments, aqua hires really looking for talent. In times of downturn, companies do tend to, to focus back in more on more scope deals where they can show cost synergies because in times of recession, showing those cost synergies, in addition to increase, increasing talent and revenue, is more important. So it makes that tech M&A juggle a little bit more difficult because you can't just focus on revenue and, and increasing your market cap or increasing your market space. But also that cost element needs to come in as well, which is a tricky thing to find the right targets that can do both. Pretty fascinating. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how this uh, plays into maybe a new economic environment. And appreciate it very much. Good to see you. Ann Hecker over at Bain. 
And before we had to break, want to get a check on shares of web develop, development platform Wix. Activist investor Starboard Value revealing a 9% stake. Reuters reporting Starboard has spoken to Wix about how it can improve operations. Wix has implemented a program to cut costs over the next three years. The company has been dealing with continued losses and slowing growth. The stock has lost half its value this year. In today's session, guys, it is up nearly 11%. And we're starting to hear more chatter from the activists, right? There's a thinking that we were just talking about this with Anne. A lot of these companies have grown um, fat over the last few years with all the capital in the markets. And now there's a real opportunity to cut costs and get more efficient. Quite an interesting uh, development, D. Yep. And up next, Oppenheimer calling the bottom on Netflix. The analyst behind that call is with us. Don't go away. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. We continue to watch the markets this morning. A fair amount of chop. The Nasdaq is coming off the worst week since June. Uh, we did open lower on the Dow by about 300 points, but managed to go green briefly. Uh, let's uh, get a news update in the meantime with our Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. The procession for Queen Elizabeth's coffin has arrived at its final destination. Thousands showed up to pay their respects on the route from London to Windsor Castle. King Charles and members of the royal family have escorted the coffin into St. George's Chapel. The last of today's public events for the Queen is now underway. They're the committal service giving a last glimpse of the Queen before her burial later today. That event will be private. In Puerto Rico, about 90% of the island is still without power. Hurricane Fiona dumped nearly two feet of rain in some areas. Puerto Rico's governor calls the damage catastrophic. Fiona is now slamming the Dominican Republic with 90 mile an hour winds. And interest rates continue to rise ahead of Wednesday's Federal Reserve meeting on monetary policy. The 10-year note has broken above three and a half percent, hitting its highest level since 2011. Back over to you, John. A lot of folks looking to buy a home now, probably really wondering what they're going to do about mortgages. Yes, indeed. Bertha, thank you. Uh, Meanwhile, another upgrade for Netflix. Oppenheimer taking the stock to outperform price target of $325, saying the streaming giant's new ad tier should drive future growth and current street estimates don't yet reflect the opportunity. Joining us now, the analyst behind that call, Jason Helstein. Jason, uh, welcome. I think there's a big question here on whether Netflix is going to lower the price of the current plans just a little bit, add ads, and make people who want no ads pay a lot more. Um, Is it clear exactly how Netflix is going to price this? 
So there's a lot of unknowns. Um, there have been press reports from kind of whether internal memos that came out from Netflix. I think there was a presentation that was circulating amongst ad agencies, kind of starting to lay out their timeline so the agencies could start to think about, you know, how they would integrate that into their ad plans. But we don't know. We tried to take a pretty conservative um, view on this. Uh, we assume, you know, four ninety nine, five dollars in the U.S. Um, but really where the opportunity is, we think it's that Netflix can aggregate a very large amount of audience over a few day period when they launch a new show like a Stranger Things or an Ozark. And when you look at what advertisers pay to be a part of a Super Bowl, part of, a, you know, Oscars, part of, a, you know, postseason sports, you really get a premium there. So we actually think Netflix has the ability potentially to move around the timing of new releases for the biggest advertisers around product launches. And we think that's not something people are talking about yet, but will be over time. I wonder if there's going to emerge a sort of uh, mega bundler of the streaming era. It, it seems like as we move further into this time, people want simplicity. And, and I wonder if certain particularly influential streamers and tech companies like your Netflix like your Amazons, perhaps even Apple might say, hey, you can get all these different streaming deals under this one umbrella program. Maybe that reduces churn and maybe some uh, some companies are willing to pay commission for that. I mean, uh, maybe I throw Roku in that group as well. Do you think that's going to happen? Uh, the platforms already do do that, right? So on Roku, once they have your credit card, you can subscribe to their app store to all like different services. Now, they're technically not bundled, meaning like a bundle usually means a discount. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be something that I think we'd have to see. Um, you know, at, you know, for Apple, you know, Apple TV, they would like you to subscribe, you know, through their Apple channels, as opposed to going directly to the service. So I, I think what you're talking about, though, is like, you know, simplifying, look, we are seeing um, the media companies thinking about consolidating. I think there was kind of there were press reports that Paramount is thinking about consolidating, um, you know, CBS into Paramount and having that be Paramount Plus, having that be one app. So, look, I, I think you will see more consolidation on the media company end. And, and then who's left, right? I mean, um, I mean, Amazon, you get that because you're prime. I don't think there would be a bundle there. Um, you know, Netflix is independent. So, look, I think there will just be a natural evolution as the media companies figure out what the kind of end of paid cable looks like. But I, I think right now, really, our view on this is that there were a lot of factors that hurt Netflix, i.e. the emergence of numerous competitors at a lower price with a lot of you know, good original content. Um, and ultimately, Netflix priced themselves out of the market. We did do some survey work as part of this report, and we found that amongst 15 percent of subscribers who canceled uh, so the 15 percent of, of the people we surveyed had canceled. Right. They didn't t tell us exactly why. Forty three percent said they would resubscribe at a lower price. So right there, that, that's that's pretty significant. And then of the nine percent of who never subscribed, 30 percent said they would come at a lower price. So we think, you know, just by offering a lower price service, you get people to resubscribe. And then really where Netflix, we think it gets paid is on the advertising side.
Yeah. Speaking of getting paid, Jason, I wonder what you make of basically the the high CPMs that Netflix is talking about, or at least reportedly talking about. I mean, I understand their scale, but does that make sense for a company that is building their ad product from scratch? I mean, yeah, if, if you were to just take all the audience and, and overnight open it up, you know, and just let an auction model run, sure, you would not get, you know, the kind of CPMs that I think um, that we're all, you know, people are talking about, right? Just like, you know, $50, $60 CPM. But I, I think the idea, and again, we don't know, but the way I would imagine they'll go about this is they will significantly limit, they'll limit initially, and then you focus on your marquee show. So could you go to an Apple, you know, and say, okay, you know, you're going to launch the new iPhone. We will kind of time the release of a show to the week you're launching that. And, you know, can you get, like, you know, uh, NBA Finals, $50 CPM? Um, you know, look, the Oscars just got $127. We can debate how much that makes sense or doesn't make sense. <laughs> Super Bowl $7. So the point is that if primetime cable is $22, you know, and Hulu's at 40 and Netflix, you know, has more marquee releases than Hulu, we think that's gives them a lot of kind of position to negotiate with. I'm glad you put that in perspective, Jason, CPMs. Um, but what we're hearing around Netflix is in the ballpark of the Super Bowl, right? Not the Oscars, which I'm, no. that number kind of amazes me. But in the Super Bowl League, I mean, they can ask for that. But if they can't deliver, right, and I guess that's going to be key. You just gave an example around an iPhone launch. But I guess that is Netflix's proposition, right, is that it already has this engagement, it has this algorithm that knows what customers want. So, yeah, so look, the Super Bowl, right, $69, I think. I think press reports were saying, you know, Netflix wants 65 which is not what we assumed in our model. We, you know, went with something much more more conservative than that. But, um, yeah, look, I think the point is, yes, you know, there is risk to when they first turn this on. Um, this is a pretty heavy lift for Microsoft to do this. And so we, you know, clearly, like, day one is going to be a test, but, like, we just... They, they should be able to command that kind of a price. Um, again, you know, there may be some dress rehearsals involved, or, you know, no pun intended, but there's no reason why, you know, you again, if Hulu can do 40 um, and primetime broadcast CPM is 43, that they couldn't do something in like the 50s. That That's kind of how we're thinking about it. Okay. Uh, Jason Helstein, uh, thank you from Oppenheimer. Thank you. All right, great conversation. Uh, coming up next, another downgrade of Adobe. We'll get a check on some of the other cloud and enterprise names under pressure. That's when Tech Check comes back in just a moment. Welcome back. Got yet another downgrade of Adobe this morning. Other names like Salesforce and Zscaler have been under pressure as well. Despite spending on cloud remaining pretty strong, our Frank Holland's watching that today. Hey, Frank. Well, hey there, Carl. Uh, today, cloud names, enterprise names, mostly underperforming the S&P, the WCLD ETF, down more than a percent on that growing rate pressure. Cowan expects these cloud enterprise names to trade based on the moves of the 10-year with a negative correlation, at least in the near term. It was a trend that 
Broke down a bit at the start of the month, but a higher than expected CPI really heightened concerns that a 100 point hike was coming at this week's Fed meeting, pushing these names lower once again. High valuation, high growth names like a Datadog, a Zscaler, or a Snowflake generally seeing the biggest negative impact when rates rise. When they were able to rise along with these rates earlier in the month, there was some thought that we saw a bottom. Their performance today with the 10-year hitting an 11-year high will be watched very closely. Tomorrow, Salesforce launches Dreamforce out in the Bay. Ray J calling the stock in the annual software conference an inflection point. Generally, CRM is seen as a read for the current cloud environment and IT spending at least to a certain degree. Analysts and investors will be listening closely for the impact of the stronger dollar on cloud transition. CEO Mark Benioff flagged it as a major headwind in recent quarters, along with other tech giants like Microsoft. Deirdre, yeah, back over And Frank, already feeling like a dream force of uh, years past. The city's buzzing as they got ready over the weekend. Thank you very much. After the break, a hack of Grand Theft Auto has take two shares falling. That story is next. We're back in just a moment. Gut check on take two today. Shares in the red after the company was caught in this rare gaming leak. A hacker leaking footage of Grand Theft Auto 6 ahead of the game's release, which isn't even expected for another couple of years. Take two says in a statement they have taken steps to contain the incident and their work on Grand Theft Auto will continue as planned. Shares of take two down 30% so far this year. D on the heels of uh, Uber, uh, hackers yeah. are having a, a banner week. Yeah, and the hacker in this one is claiming responsibility for that Uber hack late last week also. Um, but you can see share prices, John, recovering a little bit, at least in today's session. Jeffrey's writing that this is a large leak, maybe the largest in recent memory, but they don't think it will ultimately hurt game sales. So that would be a positive, maybe some PR around it even. <laughs> yeah, footage isn't source code. So we'll see how much, perhaps we'll see, how much they've been able to contain this. If it's really just early footage, well, yeah, that's kind of ends up being marketing, but it's in, if it's indicative of larger security problems that are going to cause yeah. kind of important IP to be exposed, well, that'd be bad. Uh, up next, why one enterprise software company says now is the time to double down on growth investment. The CEO of Appium joins us next. Stocks trading in line with the NASDAQ this year. We'll be back. Let's get back into software. Plenty of cost cutting across the space. Our next guest, though, says he's not pumping the brakes, using the current turbulence to double down on growth opportunities. Joining us now, Appian founder and CEO, Matt Calkins. Matt, um, I I've been talking to a number of founders, public and private, in the sort of low-code, no-code space about how key that is strategically at a time when IT talent is hard to find. So what are you investing in now and why do you say that's so important? Yeah, well, low code is, is going to weather a potential recession better because it allows our customers to adapt to circumstance, to pivot quickly, to be agile. And so we expect strength. And we also have strength because we have a 99% gross renewal rate. So you figure 99 cents out of every dollar renews on an annual basis. So coming into a potential recession with these strengths on our side, I see it as an opportunity for growth. And we're proceeding accordingly with an aggressive hiring plan. We're actually hiring faster than we had been prior to the, the downturn. And I think it's an opportunity for picking up great talent. Why uh, are you hiring faster? Is it because the supply of talent is better. And, and um, I mean, even public companies need to worry about resource cash, burn rates. Uh, what's your calculation there? 
the supply is slightly better. Now's the time that you can get a, a great resource you might not be able to in other circumstances. Also, we're opening, opening major new offices in India and Mexico. And so the ramp up for those offices contributes to the increase in hiring. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining us. Um, I understand the opportunity to be offensive, find opportunity in this market, but do you have to be profitable to do so? You guys went public back in 2017. You're still losing money. Is that opportunity afforded to companies that have already gotten their balance sheets in order? Look, I think it's possible. Depending on your circumstance, you can always do this. We have capital available, and we were, we're very prudent always. We're a bootstrap, actually. We started our, we went all the way to the IPO with just $10 million of external capital. So we know what it means to earn the money before we spend it. And we're very careful with the expenditures we make, which contributes to our unusually good margins as well. So we're careful, but we're also seeing this opportunity for what it is, which is a chance to break forward in a competitive and valuable industry. And we're going to play accordingly. Right. But the market sentiment has shifted over the last few years. Investors have been more patient. Um, they've typically wanted to see growth. But we're in a moment where investors, I'm sure many of yours as well, want that path to profitability. Your opportunity in the moment, if you are looking at M&A activity or investing back in the business, what does that do to your profitability timeline? Uh, you're entirely right. And Appian takes a long view. And so what I'm looking for is many years out, not what's fashionable this quarter, but many years out. And we're playing it correctly for the long-term view. Uh, also, profitability is always within our reach. We could choose within a quarter or two. I'm intentionally making a few investments, but, but we never let it get out of sight. Okay, then when are you telling investors you can be profitable? Have you given them that timeline? We have not, though we could be profitable at any time should circumstances dictate. Uh, we will naturally glide toward it, but we haven't committed to a date. Uh, tell me about your communication with employees uh, at this point about the, the promise of the company. Sometimes there's a tension between the long view and the long-term value that you want to build, the vision that you have with employees, and then, you know, especially during a time like this, the shorter-term profits or at least indication that you can show profits that investors want to see. What, what is that vision about the advantage that you hope to seize uh, and prove out, say, in the next three years? Employees can see it happening. They know that in the first half of this year, we had the highest revenue growth rate that we've had since our IPO, 30, 31% in revenue uh, growth in the first half of this year. So they see that momentum building, and they're confident that the investments make sense. You, so uh, it, it's, easy, it's easy to make that point when, uh, when the numbers back it up. You mentioned uh, employee growth in India. Geographically, what's your strategy at this point? Um, how are you dealing with the U.S. workforce, whether it's in office or remote? Are you growing it? Are you growing in other locales more quickly? Well, we're at an interesting flux point in the uh, in the future of the U.S. labor market, and I don't want to make a prediction about where that ends up, but I know that we need to hire in greater volumes than we have in the past, and so our headquarters near Washington, D.C. is going to grow as fast as it can. It still won't be enough for us, and that's why we're opening up also in India. The, oh. uh, the Mexico office is more of a Latin American headquarters. Okay. Okay, Matt, thank you. Matt Calkins from Appian. And if you missed part of the show, do not forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment.
shares of Home Flipper or iBuyer Open Door there falling this morning about five and a half percent after a Bloomberg report says the company lost money on 42 percent of its August resales as housing demand dropped. Now this comes as interest rates for a fixed 30 year mortgage have shot up to six percent. Open Door's loss follows Zillow's iBuying business collapse last year. Open Door co-founder and founder funds partner Keith Verboy tweeting last November, quote, selling or shorting Open Door due to Zillow's flaws is akin to shorting Google due to Yahoo's inability to monetize search well or return long tail queries properly. Um, guys, he responded to my tweet, tweeted this back out um, with an LOL and, you know, is confident. And I will say that there are important nuances. I mean, it's not apples to apples by any means. Zillow's iBuying program and Open Door's very different capital structure, John. I would love for Keith to come on and explain that to our audience. We'll see. Well, I think there's a big question of how real estate tech uh, responds to rising interest rates and to an overall economic slowdown. When you're trying to buy something and improve it and turn it around so quickly when the labor market's tight, when uh, you know, materials are still expensive, and when home valuations are coming down, Carl, all of that is very tricky, especially as the shift is happening. Maybe they'll be able to find their footing. Yeah, that's a great point, John. I mean, a lot of the technology that we're discussing has never existed in a rate environment that appears to be creeping on, on up on us. We'll, we'll watch that. One more thing before we go this morning, and that's Apple uh, getting its own slap in the face. The company is reportedly still struggling to decide whether or not to release their $120 million project starring Will Smith. Uh, the film, Emancipation, has been waiting in the wings since the movie star slapped Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars last spring. The Times says that internal discussions have included trying to release the film by the end of the year, but Apple declined comment. Interesting, uh, John, we had uh, Tim Cook at the Emmys. Uh, this stuff matters uh, in ways that it didn't years ago. So tricky on a cultural level, right? Here you have an Oscar winner starring in what should be just kind of like uh, easy money, right? But how much sympathy are audiences going to have for Will Smith um, in this role? Now, the early screenings suggest that, that he's done very well in it, but I don't think it's whether to release it, D. It's do you release it sooner or do you do it later? I don't know. I mean, attention in this society, right? Maybe there's just a curiosity. I don't know about you guys. I've been following the Don't Worry Darling saga. I probably wouldn't watch that movie if not for all the PR around it. Now, I'm a little bit curious. Who knows if this could work in its favor? Uh, Carl, meanwhile, though, NASDAQ, pretty choppy session, down four-tenths of a percent at the moment after that terrible week last week. Yeah, uh, today was one more example, guys, that the futures, I mean, directionally they might tell you something, but uh, certainly not in terms of magnitude. Futures looked weak. We opened weak and then got a bounce pretty much immediately. Uh, Dow did go positive there for a few moments. Uh, but overall, I mean, Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley today kind of says it, that the, the, the rally off of the lows uh, this summer was pretty textbook. And now trying to fight to defend the 50-day, he says, is not a good sign in the words of Morgan Stanley. Uh, let's get to the judge on this busy week and the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.